0: You're listening to the Heroes Podcast Network. Hey
1: everybody, welcome back to Red Shirts and Runabouts. I am Derek, your regular host, and I've got my two lovely friends who have been joining me on... Our Star Trek movie watch reviews. We did all four TNG era films together, finishing up last week, and now we move on to the Kelvin timeline. I have Ray. Hello! And Zach. How's it going? Good to be back, guys. Good to have you with yeah. me still. Um, and we are going to talk a little bit about, about news. We've got some Trek news before we dive into Star Trek 2009. So, of course, if you haven't had an opportunity to see the nine year old film yet, uh, spoiler (laughs) alerts, (laughs) um, because we'll be talking all about it. It makes me feel old it's nine years old. Nine years. How much brighter was the world nine years ago? (laughs) (laughs) Much. (laughs) (laughs) Um, All right, so we're going to kick things off with some really kind of interesting uh, real estate news, (laughs) I guess. Uh, If you want to own a piece of Star Trek,
0: History, Zach. Do you want to tell us a little bit about this? Yeah. So, Next Generation, season three, episode three. There's a little episode called "The Survivors," uh, where the crew uh, basically beams down to a planet colony, and uh, the only surviving people is this like two is this aging couple, basically, Uh, and they've got a pretty sweet house. And if you want to buy that house, (laughs) and you have what was it like, almost six mil? Yeah. 5.695. Five point six nine five. Yep, yep. So if you've got some extra change, and you want this little-known piece of Trek history. Um, I mean, it's a cool-looking house. Uh, the, the tour, the interior tour, looked pretty cool, and it was it was a fun episode. I don't have the money, and if I did, I don't know that I you know loved that episode enough to, to buy the house. But I mean, <laughs> you know, if I was if I was moving to wherever it is, California, anyways, then then yeah. Yeah,
1: it's in Central Malibu, Santa Monica, Unified School District. Uh, four bedroom, four bath.
0: Yeah. Not too bad. It's on two acres. So. I mean, the, the land is appealing. And the appliances look like they've been updated since the 90s, or late, late, I guess it would have been early 90s when that season aired. So, you know, that's a good thing. Ooh, bamboo flooring. I, I was just looking at that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's nice. And I <laughs> do like the, the circular window, like the portal window. Like that, I feel like that was probably in a shot or two in the episode. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but that's featured in some of these photos. It's got a very Trek look to it. Yeah, some of the details in this are pretty funny, though. Like, room for pool and horses.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Why is it William Shatner bought it? <laughs> so, yeah, I guess it's out there. It it's for sale. It's been on the market a little over a month, so you better get moving, people. Yeah. Yeah. That's all I'm gonna say. It, that's about it, it isn't too often that like something that was actually on Star Trek is for sale, so it's kind of a fun, yeah, fun little thing. Um, all right, so the big news, of course, this week is the announcement of a new Star Trek series.
0: Mm-hmm. This
1: is a half-hour animated comedy, yes, from one of the head writers of Rick and Morty, where it's going to be titled Star Trek The Lower Decks. Mm-hmm. So it's got two seasons. CBS All Access has greenlit it for two seasons. Not sure how many episodes are in each season yet. I don't
0: think we saw that necessarily. I'd imagine ten at the most for the season one at least. You think? Ten to thirteen, maybe. I mean that's still low for an animated. I mean, show. especially I'm going off of like Rick and Morty numbers, basically. That's fair. That's so fair. So one would assume.
1: Yeah, it um so yeah, so Mike Mike McMahon. Mike McMahon? M- M- Mahowan? Mahannan? I don't Whatever. know. MC, yeah. Mcmhahan McMahon. McMahon. It's McMahon, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. I got caught up on the two M's. <laughs> it's a lot of M's. Um, More anyway, M's than a bag of M&M's. He, um, he, it's his show. He's kind of the showrunner, creator of it. And he also wrote the um, one of the Star Trek short treks that are coming up, uh, the one that has to do with uh, Mud. So oh, I did not know that. Yeah. So that will be our first introduction to his trek. Um, so yeah, so Lower Decks, basically it's going to focus on a lesser known, less significant starship. Sure. Um, and the characters are not the characters, but the crew members who have the more day to day normal duties, maybe some of the menial tasks, you know, the ones who are actually scrubbing the, uh, uh what is it? The, uh, what do they have them scrub um, all the time. They always threaten to have people scrub stuff.
0: Yeah. You the know stuff that, I'm that, the stuff that yeah. needs scrubbing. I'm drawing a blank on all yeah. the
1: manifolds, scrubbing yeah. manifolds or yeah. whatever. Um, you know, that type of refilling the replicators, you know. Right. Maybe mopping right. the cargo decks. Um, that sort of thing.
0: And I mean, and the premise itself is very uh, guarded from the rest of canon, so they basically have free reign to do whatever they want. I, I assume dick jokes included. I mean, I, I guess on CBS All Access they'll
1: have some flexibility on that. Um people are unsure about it. So I did do a, a poll, but Ray, what do you think about this series? Are you do you have would um, totally thoughts?
2: give it a chance. I absolutely love animation. I I don't know if this is like if this ends up being for adults then it's kind of more Orville style with you know jokes of the mature nature or if it's more, you know, avatar or dragon prince or something based for all ages, I I'm probably still going to enjoy it. There's very few things um Star Trek that I do not enjoy. So, you know, I'll I'll watch the first few episodes at the very least and either stick it out for the full first season or, you know, just Kind of reprioritize and watch the Picard show instead.
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. Uh, Speaking of the Picard show, this actually Lower Decks will probably air before the Picard show. Most likely. Um, Lower production
0: value. Or cost, at least. Not value, but cost. Well,
1: there's no building sets,
0: you know, and... um... It takes
2: a lot longer to animate than it does to act, but if they're able to just start it immediately instead of do a ton of prep work... Then that may save time. They could air like almost simultaneously, you know, just because there's more front-end work on one and more back-end work on the other. Well,
1: I know their plan is not to double up shows anytime in the foreseeable future, so one's going to go first.
2: So Discovery may air... Discovery's airing in the early... or late winter, early spring and then Lower Decks could be summer and then Picard show in the fall. Like
1: I feel like that would be really quick. I would more yeah. expect.
2: I mean, more uh, time. I just meant like that.
1: It's possible. That's the idea. Yeah. 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 The idea is to have always something Trek to watch on CBS All Access and not doubling yeah. up. So that way, you know, to give people a reason to subscribe
0: all year round. Right. I mean, that's what it's going to take to get me. And I think they know that after the numbers dipped so much post-Discovery season one. Mm-hmm. Now, I did a poll on Twitter under
1: uh, Red Shirts Pod, and uh, 61% of people are uh, excited. They're looking forward, quote, looking forward to the uh, Lower Decks animated show. Um, about 25% said that it was too early to tell, and then 8% were 50-50, with just 6% saying no, which was kind of pleasantly surprising uh, that the majority of people either were really excited about it or, you know, were just kind of... Not sure yet because there's right. not a lot of information. So
2: well, last week we talked uh, very briefly about Trek branching out into other genres, and like I mentioned, Trek horror would be mm-hmm. fun, um, but we we didn't talk about Trek animation or Trek comedy. So you know, I,
0: I it, my my idea was a low budget pitch of like an, you know Adult Swim style, mm-hmm. but this is better than what I was wanting. But
2: no, I. I think it's a good plan. I'm always nervous because of how serious and um, heavily focused on society and pushing it forward, progressing that Trek has. You know, like they have to do this without ruining the stuff they've already set up, without making fun of it. Mm-hmm. So I hope they really focus on the tropes that do make this fun, that do make this corny, like the red shirt trope and things right. like that, as opposed to taking away from what all the other shows have
1: built. Yeah, here's, so here's a question for you guys. Because it's animated, they have a little more flexibility. Um, for when the show can take place, right? We sure. kind of talked about this last week too about how I was expecting them, you know, to do a TNG animated show because you could bring back all the actors. When would you want Lower Decks to take place? Because hmm. I don't believe we know the when yet.
2: Um, I just off the top of my head, I think maybe in the Kelvin timeline hmm. because I'd like to see something where it's briefly mentioned about Chekhov. Like, I don't know how they can handle Anton Yelchin's death other yeah. than just not doing any more Kelvin films. Like, that's it. You're just done. Well,
1: so, so CBS, I don't think, can do Kelvin stuff.
2: Interesting, because Paramount oh, owns it.
1: right. You yeah. That. About that. Okay. And I'm not sure. That's I know they fair. can't make movies, so I'm not sure if they can do Kelvin stuff or not. That's fair. Um, and maybe
2: towards... Um, like the the TNG Voyager era, where there's just a ton of ships to choose from and mm-hmm. ton of different options.
1: That's fair.
0: Yeah, Zach. I I mean, I like the idea of it being kind of rough and tumble, and I mean, getting to show the rough edges of the Enterprise. I mean, hopefully with some you know inappropriate adult jokes, and I feel like that might fit in more with between like Enterprise and original series. But for the reason Rachel just mentioned, I would like to see it later because there's more species, there's more ships, a little bit more flexibility. You can have
2: cameos. Everybody could come on to do uh, voice work here and there.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they could do it post-Nemesis prior to the Picard series. Yeah. Yeah right um there's 30 years give or take uh between there that you could do and then yeah you could i mean you could have it take place on the challenger with you know captain laforge oh, or something yeah. like that
2: but if you do it um, earlier you can do it before any of these characters are killed off tasha jedzia you know you can
1: yeah i mean they did say it was going to take place on a lesser known vessel right so that doesn't right. mean
2: cameos can't occur they sure. can't run on run into people on shore leave or something like that. I don't want them to be full cast members. Yeah. You know, if you're going to really broaden your horizon, do it. But you have, People still out there working. You sure. can lean on that.
1: Yeah. Well that's why I think if they did something on the Titan or the Challenger, you could have some fun with that because since they're the it's lower true. decks people, they don't see the captain on a regular basis. Right. Right? So you could have, you know, Geordie or Riker show up like maybe two or three times mm-hmm. for a scene, right? Because they're yeah. these are the lower decks people, they're not bridge officers. Right. 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 right? And so like that could that. be kind of a fun way to connect to existing ships. Yeah. Right. I actually
2: hope that it's just like college like a college dorm and everybody's like sleeping with everybody and, <laughs> yeah. you know, like.
0: Well, i kind of thought that they would do like an academy I, I guess there was rumored for a while maybe doing a uh, teen drama you know taking place at the academy but yes. the academy would also be a great setting for an animated adult mm-hmm. humor show so speaking speaking of that to kind of segue a little
1: bit here so in addition to lower decks uh, CBS has filed trademarks for some other show name possibilities. They've registered names for Star Trek Revolution, Star Trek Starfleet Academy, oh. Star
2: Trek Axanar.
1: <laughs> Not <laughs> oh, quite. Too soon. Not <laughs> quite. Uh, Star Trek SETI Alpha 5. Oh. oh okay. Star Trek Reliant, and Star Trek Destiny. Okay. And there's a couple of these I specifically want to talk about. Yeah. So, City Alpha 5, for (laughs) those who don't know, that is the planet that Khan was... This is City Alpha 5. (laughs) Right. That's That's going to be the opening theme song. Kirk marooned Khan on City Alpha 5. And there have been all of these rumors and murmurings of Robert... um, uh, Nicholas Meyer, excuse me. Nicholas Meyer doing his own Star Trek show in secrecy, which is why he's just a consultant on Discovery. Yeah. And what is he probably most well known for? <laughs> Wrath of Khan. So that would be if I was going to put money. They're going to do that. a
2: Wrath of Khan show. But would he?
1: But... Do you think he'd want to go back to that either? I mean, he knows he he created he saved fran- he saved the franchise from the graveyards absolutely with the Khan character. And I think that it could be interesting if he wanted to portray what his people went through on that planet. I mean, it's yeah. just going to be Star Trek
2: Lost or Star Trek Gilligan's Island. Like, I don't care to see that. Yeah. That one's not one for me. Okay, if, if that's the the
0: I'll watch idea, it. well, it's, of course you will. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Star Trek: Wars. You know i watch it. It just it does seem like an unnecessary prequel.
1: Uh, like, some some of these are are self explanatory. Mm-hmm. Starfleet Academy. Yeah.
2: No idea what that is. Probably yeah. about. That's going to be a really easy because I can <laughs> film that on site in San true. Francisco.
0: I mean, more or less. Yeah. yeah. And the, main, the main character they need to get what's his name back, the gardener. Oh, Boothby. Boothby. <laughs> Assuming that actor is still with us, I, he needs to be on the show. He's he probably was not. He's fairly he old in the nineties. Recast if, Boothby.
2: If that happens, then I want Wheaton to come back. He's had all the yeah. time with the traveler, and now he's a professor at the academy.
0: Professor Wheaton. Well, and you could bring Barkley
1: back. <laughs> Look, Right? Barkley could definitely be right. at the Academy. And we had talked a little bit about this with the Picard show. You, Barkley you know, and Wesley Crusher. If you wanted to, you could have them take place in the same time period and have some characters cross between the two, like a Barkley character. Sure. Not yeah, um, for that. Now, if I had to guess which one of these was the Picard show,
2: it'd be Destiny.
0: Destiny? What Destiny, uh, Revolution, was there a legacy in there?
1: Uh, Revolution and Reliance.
0: Reliant, okay. Yeah. What I mean, you, Reliant. Like it? Reliant, makes me hope like it's the Wharf Show. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's not, but
2: is that because it rhymes with defiant? <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's the thing. So
1: for right. a Reliant show, the only ship we really know called the Reliant is the one from the Wrath of Khan. Yeah. Is there another story to tell with that ship? It's it's a Miranda class science vessel. It didn't really seem to be of any significance.
2: It's David's, you know, growing up. That's... It's a prequel to Uh, David. Oh, boy.
0: (laughs) That's what we need. (laughs) Little baby David. Little baby David. Not
2: Carol Marcus show, which would be very interesting, but David, you know? Because that's how things work out for me in my timeline.
0: We need more white males represented (laughs) in Star Trek, if you ask me.
2: Although, now that I'm thinking about it, a Carol Marcus show would be fantastic.
1: Mm -hmm. That would be pretty cool. I don't know that you could call it Reliant, because the Reliant was only used...
2: I think it'd be better... Called Star Trek Genesis.
1: Yeah, Genesis.
2: <laughs> wow, that just happened. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's it's a, it's a podcast thing. If somebody says it, you have to. You, okay. you have, oh, I you know that rule. Yeah, so keep that in mind for future.
2: I will never say it again. Um, <laughs> say what?
1: Nothing. What was the <laughs> first book in <laughs> the Bible? Can someone <laughs> remind me? What was that?
0: I'm uh, going to pistol whip was... the next person who says shenanigans. <laughs>
1: oh, um, <laughs> uh, so I agree with you though, right? I think Destiny is the name of the Picard show. Yeah. I do. It's the only one on the list that I think makes any sense. And I think calling it Star Trek Picard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: Star Trek
3: it just
1: doesn't (laughs) quite work doesn't doesn't flow doesn't flow Uh, and i Uh, think destiny could be could be really good because it's something that's been used in trek there's the best destiny concept and there's the star trek destiny books well there's
2: there's the whole concept of manifest destiny Mm -hmm. It was always an explorer you know
0: creating
2: his own destiny so i i mean just going off of that alone makes me want that to be the picard show
0: for sure fair
1: enough i think that makes a lot of sense
2: thank you i'm smart (laughs)
1: <laughs> any any that other line. thoughts on
0: uh, any of the show stuff before we move on? I wonder, I mean revolution like that I mean that's a fairly overused term in, you know, naming of sci-fi or whatever shows. But like, I mean what I don't know what that would be focused on. And I I almost wonder and I I'm, I'm asking this from the stance of I'm a Doctor Who fan. I just watched the most recent episode last week and there are some very very obvious uh, call outs of our current political regime. And um, it's fascinating. And it's like, okay, like this is cool. And it wasn't heavy handed. And, and I appreciate when sci fi speaks truth to power because that's something that Star Trek has always done It from the beginning. They, I mean, they were a little bit more um, tongue in cheek to get away with it from the censors. But I don't know. To call it revolution and to try to be a revolutionary show seems a little cheesy. But I, I do wonder um, as we look forward to these, uh, you know, increased. Uh, roll out of shows of Star Trek shows. Like I wonder how Trek is going to continue to be socially active and, and the commentary that we're gonna see in the kind of messy times that we're in. Well I will say for revolution, I think a cool spot to
1: look at would be the Cardassian Empire post yes, the Dominion War. Right. Because, you know, the Obsidian Order is not in a great spot, the, the Cardassian military is more or less destroyed. Mm-hmm. Cardassia is not Cardassia Prime is not in a good economic position or, or anything yeah. like that. That would be a prime opportunity for a revolution in one of the major powers. Absolutely. So I think that could be really interesting. That would be cool to see.
2: Yeah, I was thinking it would be something similar to that. Or even like, a. depending on how long they want these TV shows to run, they can even show um, a lot of the Cardassian occupation of Bajor
1: that's an interesting point because like that, to go that was an forward. actual yes.
2: revolution
1: they could yeah. show that it ends in the beginning of Deep Space Nine that's a cool idea too I like that yeah. quite a bit Because I eliminate. mean that,
2: that happened for you know like I don't know it, it was a long time that they yeah. occupied Bajor so you know it could be that
1: I like that we could
2: see a young Kira like a child
1: yeah I'm good with <laughs> that yeah Cool, I like that. I don't
2: know. Like, I, I feel like the shows keep focusing on the various wars. Well, you're kind of running out of the canon wars. <laughs> you're talking about a lot. Are you going to make up some weird ones? Like all of a sudden there was a Federation Ferengi war that we don't know about. Or So I, I think exploring the stuff that they do have is a better option. Or going far into the future and creating new stuff.
1: Right, and uh, the short that comes out uh, next week... Um, actually apparently jumps ahead a thousand years after see, discovery cool. which puts it actually a little bit farther ahead than any future time we've ever seen on Star Trek uh, Voyager got close but short of like 50 years or something like that uh, maybe a hundred years and so um, that'll be kind of interesting to see maybe that's maybe that's one of these shows hmm. you know maybe destiny is the future show or something like that
2: that would be cool
1: so. yeah Um, All right, well, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to come back and discuss Star Trek 2009.
0: Hey there, I'm Batman, and I wanted to tell you about my friends at the Screen Heroes podcast. They deliver sweet justice in the form of discussing movies, television, and me. They love my movies, every single one of them. Yes, even that one. Sometimes they even have me on as a guest, which is thrilling. You can find them at twitch.tv slash heroespodcasts. Live on Tuesdays at 9 p.m. Eastern Gotham time. If you can't tune in live, the new shows go up on places like Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Google
3: Play, Gotham Radio, Demoscura Live, and Blog Talk Radio.
1: Now... Back to your regularly scheduled backcast. Alright, and we are back. So, we are going to be discussing Star Trek 2009. This is your last spoiler warning for that. Um, we uh, have been reviewing the Star Trek movies, and so we have decided to move on to the Kelvin films. Star Trek 2009 was kind of a big deal. Star Trek had been uh, dead for a few years. Nemesis, of course, was the last movie and enterprise was no longer on the air after 2004 they tore down the star trek experience in las vegas around the time that this movie came out and it was marketed basically as a reboot new casts new time period bringing us all the way back to actually prior to the original series um and i was kind of thinking we could start with what our initial thoughts were when we found out about the movie whether it was a trailer the first poster whatever that may be how you guys were feeling about this movie way back in 2007 2008
2: so this is what got me into star trek believe it or not it did happen before i met Derek. but
1: (laughs) you existed prior to that moment (laughs)
0: Good night, guys. This has been fun. She just burst out of the earth, fully grown. God. Derek made a wish, and I sprouted. <laughs> That's what I've been doing wrong in my dating life all these years.
2: <laughs> he built me in a laboratory. It's weird all science guys. to me. All right, anyway. So, this got me into it. I was a Heroes fan, so I loved Zachary Quinto. I uh, loved Chris Pine. At the time, he was rumored to play Green Lantern, so right. I loved that idea. I was following Zoe Saldana's career. A huge fan of Harold and Kumar, so I loved John Cho. Like, everybody that was cast, I, I was a fan of, so I was like, I'm gonna like this movie, I bet. And you know, still to this day, I think it's probably one of the most spot-on castings I've ever seen reboots or remakes do. Like, everything about it was perfect, and every single cast member is just on point. And they have really good chemistry together. So I yes. knew from the trailer that I was going to enjoy what was put on the screen. And I did, and I've been kind of a Trekkie since then
0: yeah uh initial thoughts i was uh into trek before this but more casually um it actually i went to college and that's when i got into um the original series uh binged all of that i really fell in love with it um and so that was my main experience with trek both growing up uh my mom watching and watching it my mom like introducing me to some of the movies and then watching uh the original series in college and so when this you know they announced this it was very uh, it was very exciting for me because this is the, the cast that I was most interested in. So uh, I was excited. It looked like a fun action film. I didn't begrudge it that uh, at, at all. But uh, yeah, I was excited. I, like Rachel, I was also a Heroes fan. So uh, that was it was fun. Weird to see Quinto in that role because I only saw him as Siler. But um, now I kind of forget that Heroes existed until people mention it. <laughs> and I'm happier that way. yeah um, but uh, Quinto is one of the gems that came out of that uh, unscathed, and uh, his contribution to Spock was fantastic. So, Yeah, I'm pretty
1: much with you guys there. So obviously, you know, I've, I've been a Trekkie my whole life, and so the idea of a new Star Trek was just incredibly exciting. Um, I still remember seeing the initial teaser for the first time, uh, and mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys remember it or not, but the original teaser was just pieces of the enterprise still being built with some voiceovers in the background and like construction work going on and Leonard Nimoy's voice coming in at the end Mm -hmm. and it was just like super cool it was super well done it felt Trek at the time um the poster the warp speed poster that's all in black and white I still have it it's one of my favorite movie posters if not if not my favorite Star Trek movie poster, maybe second only to Beyond's. Yeah. Um, and so I was just really excited to see this movie actually happen. I was a big Quinto fan from the first season of Heroes as well. You know, so another excuse to see him was really cool. And I thought the casting was, was solid for him. Um, you know, the only other person I really knew at the time, thinking back on it, was probably uh, uh, James Cho, from the Harold and Kumar oh, yeah. movies. That's really all I think I knew. Um, I recognized Bruce Greenwood, but I couldn't really place him at the time. Uh, I knew Eric Bana from The Hulk, I guess. Oh God, right? Um, and um, you know, so it was you know not the not the the biggest you know a list cast or anything like that, which was kind of nice. Um, so I was looking forward to it. I was, I was excited, maybe a little disappointed that they weren't continuing forward in time. But at least it was Same. forward from Enterprise, so it's a step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but all right, so let's let's jump into the movie and begin, you know, with one of the greatest openings in sci-fi, in my opinion, anyway. <laughs> yeah. uh, the first 10 to 12 minutes of Star Trek 2009. There was no, not a dry eye in the theater. That scene is so cool. It is. Uh, the Kelvin is a beautiful ship. I actually love that design. Uh, quite a bit. I think that scene is really well done. It is. Chris Hemsworth, uh, you know, might have made a really good Kirk. Captain Kirk. Jim Kirk, that is. Actually, given the opportunity. Yeah.
2: There were some weird choices up for that role, and I'm glad they went with Pine, though. But that was Hemsworth's, like, film debut. Yeah. He got Thor right after.
1: And he was great. I mean, he's super believable. He's, it's really well acted, that scene, and it's I mean, he
2: has an American accent in the movie. You would have never known that he's Australian.
1: (laughs) It throws me a little bit now that I know him so well as Thor. I expect him to sound like Thor, you know. Which is a
2: British accent. Which is not his
1: normal accent either, right? It's like he's got three different voices for me. And uh, the Thor one is just ingrained in my head now. Yeah. Um, It's a really cool scene. I like the Kelvin ship because it is a step backwards. We haven't really seen a ship from that time period. So you can tell that it predates the Enterprise a little bit. You know, it's got uh, phasers that actually pop up as like little disruptor cannons. And it's got the one to sell. Um, It was a
0: cool fight scene.
1: It's a really well done scene. I have some consistency issues with it when you compare it to one that happens later in the movie. Yeah. Um, But we'll get to that. So They blew their budget wad in that opening scene. (laughs) I mean mean from a storytelling perspective, actually. Oh, okay. Uh, It is a really beautiful scene, though. Yes. Right? The CGI is wonderful in that opening scene. Um, And it's just acted well across the board. I love the uniforms. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're kind of a nice bridge between uh, the Enterprise uniforms, and actually what we end up seeing in Discovery. Oh, yeah. With the blue. It's true. I thought mm-hmm. that was really nice.
2: So, fun fact, everybody on that ship... Is dead. Only, <laughs> ...only received the script for that scene. They did not see the rest of the scripts because it was, such, it was so safeguarded. Hmm. All the prime actors, the main cast, they read their scripts um, under security guard detail.
0: Oh geez. That sounds like Abrams. <laughs> yeah. He's well versed at keeping secrets that he doesn't even have.
1: Look, guys, it's not gonna be con, okay? So just stop thinking it is. Um, he didn't write the scene that it
0: was con until like the day before. He, he dispersed the scripts.
2: It's like fine, it's con. Fine, it's
0: con. I not think I have any better. other ideas. <laughs> I was just stalling. Look, this worked on lost. I could stall year after year <laughs> and wait for the ideas to come and then just wrap it all up at the end.
1: Um There's some really cool moments, though. Uh, There's the woman who gets sucked out into space, you know, and it's just dead silence. God. Yeah.
2: So, directors are always very afraid to use moments of silence, and I feel that Abrams took a risk right there, because, you know, nothing is ever silent. We hear ambient noise or background music or score Mm -hmm. or something, but, you know, he did it, and I kind of praise directors when they go that full... Force into the silence because that can be almost as jarring as like a loud noise.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking of the Force Awakens scene we mm-hmm. were talking. Well, when you think about this scene, the
1: Kelvin battle. I mean, this is a loud scene. The music is loud. The explosions are loud. The, mm-hmm. There's you know, red Him alert Chris siren going off. Are
2: yelling at each other over yeah. the calm.
1: You know, it is an intense collection of scenes, and then nothing, mm-hmm. which
0: was especially jarring in the sense that you got this action scene, but but the overarching. Uh, I guess, theme of, of the scene is that human life has value and that silent scene is when that woman gets sucked out. And so it's not like this is just like an action movie where shit's blowing up left and right. It's like, oh, someone died and we should pause to acknowledge that's a big deal because someone else is about to die here in a minute and that's going to be an even bigger deal.
1: And it does acknowledge
0: something that
1: sci-fi gets knocked for from time to time. And if you think about it for more than 30 seconds, it doesn't really work, but mm-hmm. it's there's no noise really in space, so the laser blasts yeah. and stuff aren't going to make any noises. And yeah, but I think that would be really boring if every fight scene was like that, right? Right. So this gives us an opportunity to see what it would have actually sounded like, mm-hmm. right? But not make for an entirely boring action film, right? Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> so for sure, technically if on I like your it.
2: ship, those lasers do have noises because they're making impacts and stuff like that. It's only when you are floating in space. Do they
1: not have noise? So, sure. You
2: know, that's that's the nitpicky. You want to nitpick, I can nitpick too. So.
3: <laughs>
1: right. But like, you know, at, yeah. towards the end of the movie, you know, the Enterprise is firing torpedoes and it has that super cool kind of like boomerang sound to yeah. them, right? And it's an amazing sound. It's one of my favorite sound effect noises. But you wouldn't hear that. Yeah. Right? Well, that doesn't make for a fun scene, does it? Right. So, um, so, yeah. So the Kelvin scene is super cool. He does save the day. In a pretty heroic way, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, is, is neat because we don't get to learn much about Kirk's father in, in the rest of canon Trek. Mm-hmm. Um, so to know that that's the kind of person he is says a lot about, you know, where Kirk came, where Jim came from, right? Um, which is pretty cool. And I love the Tiberius joke. Yeah. You know, uh, when they're going to name him. I respect know. that he didn't want that to happen. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> but, in all honest, Jim George sounds pretty
1: awful too, <laughs> so... Does. Which, which is why it works. I mean, it's cute and it's nice to hear that's where the name came from, you know?
2: Well, if I knew that I'm going into my final moments, you know, trying to keep a lighthearted feel would mean a lot to me. You know, if I knew I'm going to miss the birth of my child and I'm never going to meet my child I'm I'm never going to see my wife's face again, you know, being as loving and playful as possible would probably be at the forefront of mm-hmm. my mind. Because yeah. what she's going through is way worse than what I'm
1: going through. That's fair. That's fair. I agree. Um, anything else about this scene, I guess, before we move on to other things?
2: Three actors for Marvel in the first, like, 30 seconds. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> just, just saying. The so, yeah. universe. Yeah, it's pretty funny. It is. I, I can appreciate that. Now, I mean, I guess Banna wasn't MCU, but still Marvel. Still Marvel. So, you know.
2: I have a consistency issue that I'll bring up in a bit, too. But it has to do with the Romulans. It has to do with
1: the Romulans. Okay. Mm. Cool. Very cool. Um, One tiny detail that I think is easily missed is um, on the Kelvin, they're communicating with the engine room and the guy's actually talking to a flip communicator. And it does look exactly like an original series-style communicator. And I liked that... This far back, maybe right. the, inner syst- the inner ship communication system's not quite advanced enough mm-hmm. for them to just be able to talk into nothing like they do later in the movie.
0: Right, <laughs> right. <know>? Yeah. <laughs> details, man, details. Uh,
1: so I like that. I thought that was a nice little touch that they would keep these around, kind of like we do today. Like, remember when the Nextel push to talk thing was really big yeah. for like, construction oh, yeah. workers and that type of stuff, right? Like, I like that that was still a thing.
2: He did a great job at putting in nods to everything there's obvious nods like the you know all I have left is my bones mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. and then there's small ones like Majel got to record for the computer two weeks before her death she finished her line so you know he hired her on and um there's just a lot of fan service that I'm not quite sure you notice on the first watch
1: yeah, the the Barrett thing is a big deal because um, this was you know being her last opportunity to voice in Star Trek meant that it was after that she, this that Into Darkness was the first Star Trek canon piece that she was not involved in, mm-hmm.
3: uh, yeah.
1: which when you think about how much time from nineteen really sixty four since she was in the original pilot right through two thousand and eight, yeah, uh, because that's when legacy. she recorded her lines was in two thousand eight. Um, you know, so 2009 is when the movie came out, like she was involved, and that's pretty pretty amazing.
2: Well, I mean, their son, Rod, um, Nichelle Nichols, Walter Koenig, uh, George Takei, and William Shatner, and Steven Spielberg were the first people to see the final film. Hmm. So, I did not know that, you know. It, people want to harp on Abrams for not being a Star Trek fan prior to this, but he did his research and he had so much respect for what came before him. Like he let Nimoy do his own thing. He didn't direct him. He's like, this guy knows more about Trek than I ever will. So,
0: so basically, he was the exact opposite you know, of Nemesis' director <laughs> that we talked yeah. about last week. And
2: like, Nichelle Nichols was offered the role of Ahura's grandmother, but she couldn't because she fell ill. So, oh, I didn't know that. Instead, Zoe Saldana spent a weekend at her house just getting to know her. And, that's
1: cool. Um, yeah, the original crew was very involved. I mean, yeah. George Take- George Takei um, kind of talked James Cho into taking John the role. Cho. Why do I keep saying James Cho?
2: James D. Kirk. You're just confusing John Cho, I, have here. I apologize. Um,
1: Jason That's Jason Lynn. Jason yeah. Yeah, right Lynn. <laughs> yeah. I'm just screwing up all of the, the J names. Um, anyway, John Cho, uh, he had talked to John Cho because John was
2: he's hesitant Chinese. to take
1: the role. Well, and not
2: Japanese. Or he's well, he's Korean. Korean. Yeah, yeah I, John Cho's me, Korean sorry.
1: and the Sulu character is Japanese because George Takei is Japanese. Um, and George Takei's um, stance was basically that Sulu represents all of Asia. Yeah. Right? Not just the Japanese. The point in the 60s was to be a reflection on World War II and that's why Japanese was important but that's not the yes. point anymore. The point today is that it's for the Asian cultures they're still represented yeah. in some way, right? That's why Chekhov was a big deal. The Cold War against Russia, right? Like Those, those nationalities were very specific in the 60s. Yes. Um, and we just, you know, they're still important today of course. Um,
2: and Yelchin was hired on Because um, of his lineage, it was so close to Koenig. He comes from Russian Jewish parents, and uh, that was really important to Abrams. Now, I don't know how many, you know, Russian Jewish lineage actors there are out there. I'm sure it's way more than what I have in my head, but Yelchin already had, like, a decent career under his belt, too. So, you know, that helped as well.
1: Mm Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, all right, so let's move on. So we have the, the, the Kirk and Spock as children scene, which fun, (laughs) they're fun scenes. You know, the, the Corvette scene is a lot of fun for me. Um,
2: Greg Grunberg voices the stepdad over the phone and Grunberg was supposed to have a full role. He's had a full role in every Abrams project, but he couldn't do to his heroes uh role at the time so I who that even is um, I don't remember. he's in
1: beyond he's the guy who kind of runs the control mm-hmm. center at the uh the space station at the, york, at the york oh town. yeah
2: he's in force awakens yeah. he's in super eight like he's in every abrams film like mm-hmm. they're just and friends so he
1: was one of the leads and heroes yeah.
2: yeah
3: yeah
1: and you know the network wasn't super excited about having two of their leads <laughs> um but, uh, yeah, I, I think that uh, the casting for young Spock was really good. Uh, it's kind of a cool scene, and I I like the way the scene plays out. First off, it, it just it looks like Vulcan to me, right? It's very reminiscent of something in the animated series mm-hmm. when you see young Spock in school. Uh, it's pulled straight out of there. And when Spock goes off on him and just beats the shit out of that kid, I mean... There
0: is not really any part of me that does not enjoy that. <laughs> so. Yeah, I love that. Also, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, I know they're not kids in this, but I do love that, like, the evolution of, of him through his time and then that scene where he's like, live long and prosper. And it's like, I mean, it was like the the, the fuck you way to say that phrase that is usually seen as very peaceful. Well, so that's So I, I got to see the movie opening night.
1: Uh, full IMAX theater, like nice. this was max to the brim, and I
2: saw it two weeks earlier.
1: Oh, shit. good for you! Mm-hmm. It's a good thing you didn't know each other at that
0: time, or he would not have been okay with it. I wasn't
1: seeing pre pre screenings back then, but um, anyway, when that scene happens, though, when Spock gives the "Live long and prosper," the whole theater just goes, "Oh, yeah." <laughs> yeah it was just great because like you know you don't get too many like whole theater reactions that are exactly
0: the same and so that was just a really fun that was a fun moment yeah one of the best parts of opening night films i don't get this experience as often anymore but like opening night like you get those like boisterous reactions from the entire theater which is cool um
1: okay were you going somewhere with that ray
2: well i also like that being Taryn, or Earth, yep. whatever you want to call it, and uh, his mother are the parts of him that elicit the most emotion. You know, he cares more deeply for her because you know, you can tell that his dad has always been a little standoffish, and
1: it's called Vulcan, exactly.
0: <laughs>
2: so, that's what I'm gonna call you from now on. It's Vulcan.
0: Hurtful.
2: It's hurtful. <laughs> no. Why don't
0: you like the Vulcans, Derek? Moving on.
2: Contrary to what he wants people to believe, Derek is very warm and romantic and cuddly. So okay. that's nice. Anyway, it's a lovely
0: tangent. Yeah. <laughs> Do I need to leave while you guys work this out?
2: No, it's perfect. So I I like that you know the kids are able to elicit an emotion that Kirk's able to elicit an emotion that you know even the Vulcan High Council, the Science Academy, is able to elicit at least a, well, now I'm not going to your stupid school. (laughs)
3: You can
2: fuck off. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, that means a lot to me. And I actually wanted them to kind of continue that, like, not show any anger. You can mention his mother with showing other emotions, but clearly his mother means a lot to him. And I don't think he, he needs to lose that. I actually think he should keep it.
1: And I think he does. Yeah. This is a more emotional Spock. For sure. Than we're used to seeing in Star Trek, at least, you know, early on. Spock lightened up as he got older, actually. Uh, You know, so we're kind of seeing the opposite of that here, which is interesting. Um, So then, of course, we get Kirk in the bar fight. Yes. That's pretty Kirk. I mean, it actually reminded me a little bit of, of Picard from Tapestry. Oh uh, yeah, you know, just yeah. a little bit. Um, but uh, I mean, it's a fine scene. I don't really have much of a problem with it. Yeah. Uh, Bruce Greenwood's introduction is pretty solid, though, as Captain Pike. I yeah. think that's just wonderful casting.
0: We meet Cupcake for the first time, oh, right? <laughs> right.
1: <laughs> Who has a, a much bigger role in the comic books? He does. By the
0: way, that. That's one of my takeaways of rewatching this. Is it made me want to go back and read all the comics because the the Mike Johnson run was was very good. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a fun scene. I like mm-hmm. that Kirk
1: and Uhura are talking to each other across this other alien who clearly just wants to be left alone to, to, to yeah. their drink. <laughs> yeah. Uhura, that was a name I was going to make
0: up for you. The only
2: thing I wish they would have omitted was when he, like, in the fight choreography and he grabbed Uhura's breast. Like, I thought you could have done that. Like, you could have just had him bump into her and she could have, like, punched him or... Th- shoved him instead you didn't have to have that that was unnecessary you're like they already added in way more sex appeal than any other star trek has had before unless you count naked fan dance
1: yeah i actually that's a fair point because i did not remember this how much they sexualized uhura in the 2009 film yeah i had forgotten that because it
0: was not important so you block it
1: well yeah it was not important and it was it's Not in Beyond, and it's it was so blatant with Marcus and in Into Darkness, I just kind of forgot about the 09 yeah. one. Um, and so, like, that actually kind of caught me off guard, like, you know, the scene in, in her room, yeah. right, with the, yeah. with the Orion and, and all that kind of stuff. I like, actually totally forgotten that she gets undressed in that scene.
2: It's, I don't know, it's kind of more natural for me in that scene. I had female roommates where we got undressed in front of each other and didn't think anything of it we just had normal conversations but the the boob thing and the bar fight seemed unnecessary i guess man service it's not fan service it's <laughs> yeah. man service yeah because i he had already pissed off a of horror she was just trying to order drinks and he's all up in her business like there's there wasn't much that needed to happen for her to shove him.
1: (laughs) I agree with you. Um, And, I mean, the movie does make Kirk out to be, like, this crazed ladies' man kind of character who... Kirk really isn't in the old stuff. If you watch the original series and you watch the original movies, right. Kirk doesn't actually live up to the
0: womanizer tag that he's been given over the last, you know, 50 years. Right. Um, it's much more tame. And some of that's due to the time frame in which it was, you know, the the, two, the, movie, the 2009 movie versus the show sure. is concerned. But I actually have a theory for this, and maybe we've discussed this before, but I... I think that this is the result of an alternate timeline Kirk who didn't grow up with a father who showed him what it meant to be masculine in a way that wasn't uh, hypersexualized. And I think, I mean, you know, same character, one group with a father that was very, he was very close to. Um, they had some issues, as they kind of allude to, but um, he was close to his dad. And, had, and his dad was at least a presence in his life. Uh, but uh, Pine's Kirk was different. That's a really
1: interesting point, because we don't we know it's a separate timeline, right? This is the Kelvin timeline. It's not the Prime timeline, and there is a split there, which, for the record, I've always appreciated that Abrams found an in-universe, play-by-the-rules way to break himself free from canon. I do Absolutely. appreciate that. He didn't just ignore canon. He used the rules to do what he wanted to do. Um, and uh, we don't really talk about what the splinters are from all of that, and there's a lot of little things that you can attribute to that
2: womanizing kirk and more emotional spock are the two biggest ones absolutely so i i can appreciate that and you know just small things like giving a a first name yeah it's pretty great like neota has been adopted into canon now
1: mm-hmm.
2: and so i appreciate that but she didn't have a first name and
1: well, she did it in the books did she? Yeah, there's books where she she had her name. It just
2: either way, Roddenberry never gave her a name. So yes, it's, that's true. Abrams naming her and adding Neota, it's been awesome.
1: And I like the relationship between Spock and Uhura because it actually so harkens right. back to the original series yes. and the original intent of what was written in the script, which was that the kiss was supposed to be between Spock and Uhura, not. Kirk and Uhura. And we can argue about whether or not that would have been as significant culturally because Spock is an alien and not actually a white dude for the first interracial kiss. But from a story perspective, those seeds between Spock and Uhura were there from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. There's the Vulcan... Second
2: episode or third episode where she sings to him. Exactly. Mm
1: -hmm. Yes. And he's playing the... uh, I can't remember the name of the Vulcan, Vulcan engine. Yeah, basically. Right? Like that was there, and this basically stokes that into making it a real thing. And mm-hmm. I, I like that. I agree. I thought that was really cool. Um, There's some other things that the timeline you know, may have caused issues with that I don't know if are just oversights or me being nitpicky, but some of it is timeline problems, such as the Enterprise. So,
2: mm-hmm. um... I. But, oh. The
1: Enterprise. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, maybe we're jumping ahead I too much. I want you to
2: finish your thought, and then I'll jump in.
1: Let's go back to it because we didn't. We, we, I don't want to skip over the Kobayashi Maru.
2: I don't want to either. I think it's really cool that he's eating an apple, and when he describes <laughs> the test in Wrath of Khan, he was also eating an apple. Like small callbacks like that.
1: Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i wonder if it was on purpose or not yes um
2: i absolutely believe that was on purpose yeah yes
0: i never knew well we certainly know that jj Abrams has seen the wrath of khan sure
1: (laughs) as we'll discuss next week i
0: know i never knew (laughs) what
3: i
1: never knew what kirk was eating in the wrath of khan it seemed like it it didn't sound like an apple when he shatner confirmed
2: it it to pine when they talked
1: it was an apple yeah okay
2: Shatner knows when he ate.
1: Of course he knows. I know he knows. I don't know.
0: <laughs> but Now you do. Now, now we all know. Now
1: we know. Uh, no, that's a, that's a cool scene. I liked seeing an updated Kobayashi Maru since we do see it in the Wrath of Khan. Yes. You know, in the, in the older style, we get to see an updated version of it. It's basically the same test. Mm-hmm. They didn't change it, which I also thought was cool because why bother, right? Um, and I, I'm a little surprised at how blatant the cheating was. Like, I figured it'd be something really sneaky, but like, the whole system shuts down, it turns back on, and everything's fine. Yeah. Like, they're gonna figure that out, Jim. <laughs> like, you yeah. Know? He's not sneaky. Because, like, the whole thing was he changed the conditions of the test. Well, I don't know. I guess in my head, I had built that up to be something a little bit sneakier. The
2: fact that he was just gonna get, like, an academic grounding.
1: Yeah. You right. know,
2: like,. Starfleet house arrest, that was going to be it. And well,
1: no, we don't know what the outcome would have been. He was only grounded from that thing because he was under.
2: Well, he was grounded probation. for uh, two weeks, as they say? Like until they could reconvene, and until they could discuss. reconvene, yeah. yeah. But if
1: he had actually been like. Convicted, so to speak, he could. may have been expelled, yeah. right? You know, like we don't really know. We don't get to know because of the convenience of the story. Uh, <laughs> oh man, yeah. I really
2: wanted it to follow that storyline. Yeah. Well, yeah.
1: you know, it's that idea of like, well, you know, yeah, he cheated, but he's also just really good at his job. So, um, and
0: that's that's basically the model for you know. <laughs> capitalism
1: but i i I like the kobayashi maru scene because of how sarcastic both bones and uhura are to jim in this scene yes it's really great a lot
0: is being indirectly communicated and it's it's fantastic
1: all right so um let's move on to the enterprise like we were saying a few minutes ago so let's take a little history lesson jaunt here for a moment so we know that Kirk is not the first captain of the Enterprise. We know that Pike was captain before Kirk,
2: and April was captain before Pike,
1: and April was captain before Pike. So Except... here's here's my problem. It's a little fuzzy. So the in the, in the prime timeline, the Enterprise uh, launched in twenty two forty five under Robert April.
2: Nerd.
1: And Kirk would not take over until twenty two sixty four. Okay, that's a big gap. Mm-hmm. Right? The enterprise is 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 essentially 20 years old when Kirk gets a hold of it okay now in this movie, we're looking at the year 2258 is when the attack on Vulcan occurs. Yes, okay and Pike makes the comment about how you know be careful with the ship she's new right right take be right. careful of the ship's box she's new uh-huh okay. Yeah. So let's 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 analyze that for a moment here. What does new mean? Is this the maiden voyage of the Enterprise? He says that later, right? Deserves more pomp and circumstance and all that.
3: Mm-hmm. So
1: first off, that means the Enterprise is th- uh, thirteen years newer in this timeline, mm-hmm. and Robert April never captained it, right? So my question would be. What about the destruction of the Kelvin would delay the Constitution-class starship by more than a decade?
0: You <laughs> clearly have nothing.
1: <laughs> that would be my question. Right now, you know, arguments could be made that the designs of the ships had changed because maybe the Kelvin had an officer on it who was responsible for designing the Constitution-class starship. Right? I
2: think the easier explanation is that Pike is the first captain of it, and not April.
1: Sure. But but the ship is still delayed in construction by 13 years. Which is significant. So that's two different issues. One is, what happened to April? But then I guess that's answered by, well, if the Enterprise didn't exist 13 years before, then he was given a different ship. Right. So why wasn't the Constitution class, which was the most important flagship class of ship, there were 12 of them that were sent out... You know, into the galaxy. These were the big bad ships to fight the D7 Look, Battle. this cruisers. is already
2: an alternate timeline by this point. And, you know, maybe April captained the Farragut. And, you know, Kirk isn't on the Farragut, so...
0: Right, because he was supposed to be. This, I know this likely has like a really like stupid. Okay, the ultimate answer is it was just a careless mistake. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but if you want to find a real answer, we can make one up. That's just super mundane and boring. Like the incursion of Nero. Um, due to that, like the Federation had to reallocate their resources for a number of projects, and the. Enterprise, which they wanted to pour a lot of time and effort into, got delayed because they maybe they spent a few extra years right after that trying to figure out what they were doing. I don't know. I guess, yeah. I, I suppose mean, it's not a good it's not a good answer, but um, there is no good answer when yeah. sloppy shit happens. I
1: just I'm trying to be fair because I I harped on Spider-Man: Homecoming for creating a pretty big time plot hole in the MCU.
2: Oh, and it was so bad.
1: And. Um, <laughs>
0: I don't even know if I remember that one.
1: Well, they make the mistake of specifically saying time periods in Spider-Man. And that was a mistake. Rather than things like years ago or months from now, which yeah. gets you around a lot of stuff because those are a little more subjective. Yeah. Um, and at least in this in, in Star Trek 2009, there's not as much specifics of the years. That's more in um, Memory Alpha, which is the canon wiki for Star Trek. Right. right. So... You know, I'm a little more slack, I guess, is, is deserved there. Um, but the moral of the story is Kirk basically gets the Enterprise about six years early.
2: Yes. Yeah.
1: So, there you go.
2: So, my inconsistency uh, issue yeah. with the Romulans is um, yeah. that in the comic book that they created to kind of show the Nero timeline. Countdown, mm-hmm. right? Yeah.
3: Yeah.
2: Uh, they explain that the tattoos are for mourning. They shave their heads and... Uh, Tattooed tribal uh, Romulan symbols on their face for mourning their family. When Nero recounts the situation to um, his to Pike, and you get to see the holograms, he already had the facial tattoos. Like that's a coal mining thing, I guess, because or mining whatever that they do, whatever fuel they're mining. Um, so that was my issue. like they tried to explain it away, and I like the idea that they're mourning tattoos, but they're not. they're just these guys are Romulan skinheads <laughs> like
1: yeah, the Narada like, has a lot of problems from a consistency standpoint yeah. um so it it comes from the future, right This is post a post nemesis ship
3: mm-hmm.
1: um but it is still a mining vessel right. and it's a mining vessel that would like be able to hold its own against the Enterprise E.
2: It's
3: so
1: five miles I mean, yeah. wide
2: and fifteen miles long. And why in the heck did they hire Zachary Quinto's brother to be a Romulan? I had to do so many double takes because I didn't he's know clear he is clearly unseen. Zachary Quinto's brother plays a Romulan, and when they board, when like, they really, yeah, when they <laughs> transport over, I seriously was like, "Why would they have Quinto play two roles? That's just silly." Wow! And it's clearly Quinto's brother. I, I definitely missed that. I seriously thought it was Quinto himself. <laughs> and,
1: I've never noticed that before. That's fascinating. Okay. Nice.
2: Well,
1: that's pretty funny. Thank you. Um, the ship, though, just the Narada doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. Uh, the design of it seems strange. It doesn't seem in line with anything the Romulans have ever designed before. Um, and it seems to be like a pretty powerful freaking ship, right? I mean, it's not that fast, I guess, since the Enterprise could catch up with it going Warp 4. So how fast could it possibly be? But... Um, I don't know. I guess I just I just have some problems with with that because this it's from a time period that's less than ten years after Nemesis, right? Right. Why is it that freaking powerful? It's got a million torpedo launchers, you know, and it's massive in size. Um, and then here's where one of the other consistencies come in. So okay, so they go to Vulcan. The Enterprise warps in the Vulcan, and the whole fleet's completely destroyed, not disabled completely destroyed right so you're telling me in the span of three minutes the narada was able to dispatch an entire fleet of starships but wasn't able to stop the kelvin
0: from running it running into it yeah yeah <laughs> it's not great these are the things that i appreciate talking uh, about movies with you Derek. this is why i appreciate talking about <laughs> movies with you because a lot of these things like i just like tune out i'm having a good time there are a few occasions where something so glaringly terrible <laughs> happens that I am right there with you. But for the most part, I don't even think of these things until you point it out, or until I've seen it ten times. It's tough because on one hand, it creates a cool shot, right? The Enterprise yes. warps into a
1: debris field. They've got to drop under the one saucer section, right? And it clips the nacelle. Like it's a cool shot. They they have the the wide shot where the Enterprise is kind of like twisting in a way, right? Yeah. right? it's a cool scene. But then why was the Kelvin able to hold its own by itself years earlier, thir- almost 30 years earlier, right? Yeah. That, that just makes no sense to me. Um, you know, the Enterprise is able to hold its own for longer because he doesn't actually want to kill Spock. Sure. Right? He's not trying to take out the Enterprise, but he did want to take out the rest of the fleet and the Kelvin. Right, right. You know, so it's little things All like fair. that. All fair. Know? Um. fair. Yeah. Okay, so we do have that, the introduction. Uh, I actually really like Nero. I like Arab Eric Bana's yeah. portrayal
0: of Nero. He's very unassuming, like, hi. <laughs> hi, Christopher, I'm Nero. <laughs> yeah, very, very, kind of the antithesis of what we see with a lot of uh, Trek villains. With like, There's an overblown ego, which uh, uh, Nero definitely has ego issues. But it's like, he's so unassuming when he meets you. He's just this weird kind of neurotic guy instead of being all like, I am Nero. I mean, I mean, they could have gotten away with that with a name like Nero, even, but uh, they chose a more uh, unassuming path. <laughs> Ray disagrees. <laughs> no, no, it's fine.
2: I I love Nero a lot. I think Eric Bana did a great job. It was very difficult to recognize him as Eric Bana, and I wasn't. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> I'm not the only one. Like apparently, Steven Spielberg and Cameron Crowe, had no idea who played Nero, even though they both have seen Eric Bana many times, so <laughs> you know time. like it he was great. Nero was great. I love him as a villain. he is a very he's like an angry Khan, you know he's smart, he knows what he's doing, and he can be patient and wait out spock so but he's definitely more emotional than Khan is, so you know you get the anger. And the mm-hmm. loss and the pain that he feels. So I, I like Nero.
1: And that's the thing. Like, I love Banna's portrayal of Nero. So yeah. I don't want to knock on Banna at all. My only problem with the Nero character is the story that's told doesn't seem to like put really any blame on Spock. Like the Vulcans were going out of their way to help the Romulans and couldn't make it in time. Right. So if spock didn't
0: exist then the
1: supernova destroys romulus anyway
3: mm-hmm.
1: right
0: but this is a man torn by grief and trauma and he's not thinking about logic yeah he can blame spock and i have no problem with him blaming spock his motives don't have to make sense he is racked with grief at this point
1: yeah but then he's gonna go so far as to destroy the entire federation like it just seems to be a bit I mean, of a leap from what's really a natural disaster as horrible as it is, is a natural disaster and wanting to commit genocide.
0: I mean, terrorist attacks rarely have a logical motive. Mm-hmm.
3: No, they usually genocide.
0: Have... Genocide never has a justifiable or logical motive, anyway. So we're again, it doesn't bother me. I'm not saying that you're wrong to have that critique at all, but like for me, it's just like. Dude's crazy. I mean, I actually think that he's
2: the best out of all the three Kelvin villains. I think Krull didn't get nearly as much development as he deserved. Mm -hmm. And I'm okay with it in the end because the cast got a lot more development than they had in 09 and Into Darkness. And of course, you know, the whole, we don't know who the bad guy is. Cumberbatch or Welker. Welker, Cumberbatch. Like, it just flips flops so much that, you know, there is no clear villain. I think the villain in yes. number two is Abrams.
1: <laughs> no, I mean, we'll get to that one next week. But right, yeah. but I just yeah. think that
2: Nero is the best and the most Star Trek of all the Star Trek villains.
1: He's a good villain. He really is. Um, my, my, my issues have more to do with, like, the ship. <laughs> you know,
2: <laughs> what are they mining with that thing? Like, I assume
1: dilithium. Yeah, that's kind of like the thing everybody that right. and like deuterium and red matter, you know. <laughs> well, let's put the <laughs> MacGuffin aside for a minute. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the re- okay, so the red matter thing is pretty funny to me because it's really never discussed ever again in anything else. No, nor should it be. Um, except we're gonna do it here now. I guess it's in some of the comics, right? uh, yeah, like, I think about yeah, it. but. Um, That
2: stuff is powerful. Like, a a bead, a bead of red matter can destroy an entire planet. Not
1: even that. Nimoy or Spock, was going to use the same amount to shut down a supernova. Right. (laughs) Which, to our knowledge, is, you know, one of the most powerful forces in the entire universe. You know,
2: so... Sometimes, you know, the Federation does bad things with good intentions. It did kind of crossed my mind that some people would be interested in keeping that around not plunging all of it into Nero and creating this giant black hole but you know just keeping some for themselves later on as a war deterrent or something
1: well but the Enterprise crew doesn't want to do that
2: the Enterprise crew does not but I have a feeling that other people would
1: yeah Peter Weller's Admiral Marcus would have wanted to do that in the following film but you know, that wasn't where Star Trek was going yet. And right. the Enterprise crew, that's not who they are, right? Kirk and Spock wouldn't necessarily do that, even though, you know, Spock gives pause to the lending a hand to... Well, an
2: Insurrection, the, the Admiral would have wanted to do that.
1: Exactly.
0: So, so, so that's the always the that story is the Admirals are bad. The admirals,
1: the, admirals, the, admirals, the admirals are always bad unless it's Janeway. Yes. <laughs> and then in the books, it's a, it's a little murky, but, um...
3: Ooh.
1: You know, um yeah i mean that's the thing though right the enterprise crew is there to do the right thing in the end even if they struggle getting there they do the right thing that's the whole point um and i mean (laughs) we'll get to the very end where they do destroy all the red matter because i want to talk about that so let's talk about that now because i mean we're
2: we're getting close on time and everything well
1: but we haven't we haven't talked about vulcan yet you know, or even the introduction of Scotty and the original Spock as Nimoy and I.
2: Okay, so I want to talk about the skydiving scene.
1: Okay, because
2: okay. I think it's absolutely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is. Like, I love the way it looks. Beautiful, mm-hmm. absolutely beautiful. They they had the gorgeous scene shooting down on Vulcan and showing that gorgeous planet, and they the drill looked amazing. It looked scary. It looked you know doom impending. I get that what the hell was Olsen thinking? Like, even the dumbest red shirt never voluntarily died like that. <laughs> like, well, then they have to have
1: the throwaway line up. Olsen had the charges. Yeah,
2: like, what? Yeah. <laughs> really, you're gonna let the one guy who's not a major cast member have the charges? No. bad
1: choice. I mean, I forgot his name was Olsen, because I really honestly thought it was Ensign Ricky.
2: Well, like, <laughs> Pike doesn't even acknowledge him. Yeah. Doesn't even, like, look at him. Why I'm would he give the well charges to him? It should have been well, Sulu.
1: I mean, so, from a if you take out the, the, the tropes for a moment from a, an actual in-universe explanation as the security and engineering shirt guy he would have been responsible for the charges like that's consistent for like an operational perspective yeah right i'll give it to you uh but it is just kind of silly the dude's so reckless like he picked the most reckless person on the ship <laughs> <laughs> uh that makes for kind of a, a a silly like I get it it's the red shirt trope that doesn't really exist but, but people want to exist
2: you know there's other ways to do that Spock could have brought down multiple people to help him save Vulcan members you know like, oh absolutely that could have been your opportunity and then the person dies tragically in you know a natural disaster unnatural disaster and not of you know being an idiot
1: I agree with you, but then you don't have the excuse to have Sulu do his fencing. Yes, you yeah. do.
2: The Romulan still comes out.
1: I guess. Like. But then you don't have the cool John transporters. Cho Rachel's
0: thought this through. I can use it. I can that. do that.
1: No. No. You
2: could totally still have it. You could still have everything. The charges don't have to work or like Olson just didn't have to uh, there's not one right. red shirt that just voluntarily goes to his death like
1: that. That's okay. I get your point. Yeah. No. Thank
2: you. that's fair
1: thank you Um, so we do have the Spock beaming down scene I think it's a little silly because A he beams down really far away from the entrance to that cavern Um, but
2: he did it like Arnold like (laughs) yeah
1: why was he crouched down like it's a cool shot in the trailer and all but like Why? Yeah.
2: (laughs) It would have made more sense had he protected his head. There was a lot of falling debris if he had had it like this. Yeah. That would have made sense. But they didn't do that. They just wanted the Arnold scene. Or if
1: they were, like, beaming him in, like, right next to the door and there's, like, an overhang. Or, like, give me some reason for him to terminate or that. At least he (laughs) wasn't naked, right? Um, I mean, so
2: to you, I would have loved that. Quinto's very attractive.
1: (laughs) R-rated Star Trek. There it is. Um, Anyway, so... They go into the big... lower decks. Indeed,
2: <laughs> I'm going to make sure you have zero listeners by the time I run. <laughs> that's,
1: that's fine. <laughs>
2: I'm gonna ostracize all of them. That's fine.
1: Um, <laughs> I so I get that they want to kill off his mother, Winona Ryder, um, because He's only
2: six years older than him. <laughs> yeah.
1: So there isn't in, in There's yeah. a there's a explanation for that. So they actually were supposed to have a scene where uh, she gives birth to Spock.
2: Very similar to the Kirk... Cur-
1: right but they cut it and so that's why they cast her because they wanted her to look young and then they were going to age her up with the makeup that they did do you know to make her old enough to be the mother and that didn't quite work out but you still got winona rider and i love her so i'm fine with it yeah. yeah at the
2: time it was easier to age up an actor instead right. of age them down i think yeah. it still is
1: easier <laughs> probably <laughs> Less expensive yeah. um, i don't
2: know they animated nero's mouth in a lot of scenes towards the end after some fight scenes and they animated Nimoy's mouth so um, on, uh, on Hoth with the wampa <laughs> <laughs> that's what that is that is Hoth with the wampa that is exactly what that is you cannot tell me any
1: different
0: So, all right. um, We're going to talk about that scene. I want to briefly interject, (laughs) because this is relevant. Um, Please do. This, uh, as as a side note, because we haven't spoken about it yet, and we can talk more about it in the next couple films, too, but Giacchino is a brilliant composer. And not all films use him to his maximum capacity, but it was very clear that he did his research. And in that scene, where uh, Kirk's getting chased by the wampa, um, (laughs) that's what we're calling it, it's canon. (laughs) Don't at me (laughs) I thought they smelled bad on the outside (laughs) (laughs) Um, So but that scene If you listen to it the music that's being played Is very reminiscent of like the Danger music from the original series show Like he took some chords Straight out of the original series uh, And and, uh, made it his own In a very cinematic and creative way And that was a nice very subtle nudge Or nod Oh yeah, I can easily say that his music in the three
1: Star Trek Kelvin films are some of the best work in those three movies. They're some of
2: his best work. Like, Like, he does most of the Pixar films. (laughs) Like, he's done Marvel. He's done DC. Like, he's Uh, been around. Mission
0: Impossible. Yeah. Like, but a lot of it, everything everything he's done is good. But not everything he's done has as much um, love as what he did with Trek. It's an amazing
1: score. Yeah. It really is. Um, like I
2: did lean into you and I told you how much I love the trope where big giant thing is chasing person and even huger thing like comes and eats that giant yeah. thing. So yeah, I the, love that trope.
1: It's the T-Rex trope. Yeah. yeah. In Jurassic Park. I, I, that might be the first movie that did it uh right. um, maybe you know maybe. and uh... i don't
2: know but the wampa got eaten by like a giant demogorgon and
1: <laughs> yep
2: that was great that's what
1: i saw right? <laughs> um
2: like, stranger things totally rips that look up watching it that thing is like spider demogorgon and it's gonna be in the third season i promise you <laughs>
1: Um, so we, that, that leads us to Keenzer and Scotty. And yes. Nimoy. And yes, so so Nimoy, of
0: course. Keenzer is my knows. favorite addition to the, the crew.
2: He is so great.
0: I love Keenzer. Keenzer's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. They really failed. All these movies really failed their merchandising. Like, the fact that I don't own a plush Keenzer is a travesty. Agreed. Well, the
1: toys for these movies were almost non-existent. I mean, 2009 yes. had some toys, but, but not that bad. many. They weren't great. I don't even think Into Darkness had any. It's like they didn't want to sell merchandise. I mean, more or less, they didn't really try to. And then they blamed, you know, low sales for, you know, cutting, you know, the each movie and right. you know, whatever. But, um, yeah, so, okay, so let's talk about Nimoy for, for a minute. Um, it's a great role for him. I mean, he steps right back into it. There's really no question about it. He looks great for the part. Uh-huh. The mind melt scene is super cool. Um, the
2: fact that Pine walks away emotionally rattled by all of it is great because you know the vulcans train themselves to suppress their emotions and rationalize through them to work through them and but he doesn't have that so he's getting all of the emotions of seeing romulus explode of seeing vulcan explode and you know it, it affects him
1: absolutely it's a really well done scene that way. And, you know, at the very end of the movie when the t- the two Spocks meet, of course, is is a wonderful moment as well. Yes.
2: You lied. <laughs> I implied.
1: I <laughs> implied. And it's great because they always find some other way for him to skirt the lying role, right? It's like, I exaggerated. <laughs> you
0: know, I omitted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is, is a, a huge indication of who Spock is by the time we get to these films as opposed to who he was, like, in the original series. Because, like you mentioned, there was that growth in him where he did relax in largely in part due to his friendship with Captain Kirk mm-hmm. absolutely
1: um, yeah it's it's a great moment. you know "I am not our father is one of my favorite lines um, <laughs> so great. Yeah. It's so well written, it's a great line, it's well delivered
0: and it's a, yeah. it's a cool moment between the two of them, yeah. Um, as is uh what does he say? Uh my normal greeting would seem. Um <laughs> oddly self-serving. Yes, that's the
1: that's the phrase. So I will simply say good luck.
0: Yes. <laughs> uh,
1: which is also great. And Quinto has his fingers glued together in that scene because he yeah. can't do the vulcan salute any better than I can.
2: <laughs> so. In all fairness, Abram sent him to like classes to work on it and he's still gonna do it. And Abram said, I'm going to super glue your fingers together and that's what he did
1: <laughs> well look quinto if you're out there listening uh, as i'm sure you are <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, i can't do it either and people make fun of me for it and so it's good to know that you can't either
2: i couldn't up until, <laughs> yeah i couldn't up until uh 2016 i practiced because i was dating a trekkie oh yeah yeah weird um, and now i can
0: Huh? Good for you. So maybe maybe if you wanted it bad enough, Derek, you could do
2: it.
1: (laughs) Just took practice. All right. So Scotty, I love Simon Pegg's Scotty. I like him more than each film. Yeah, he's the best part of this trilogy. More
2: than James Doohan.
1: Yeah, it's a little tough for me because I I remember Scotty as the older Scotty in the movies and then Relics and TNG. That's what I think of when I think of Scotty. That's fair. Um, uh, yeah, that's just what resonated with me. When I think Scotty, sure. that's who I remember. Well, you
2: started with TNG and went back to TOS, well,
1: right? I mean, it was really both at the same sure. time. My dad just watched both of them oh, all, okay. time, that's all the time. Um, but that's just th- those movies. I probably ran into the ground more than anything else, and so that's just that's how I picture Scotty. Right. Right. Um, and so I I don't know necessarily that that Simon Pegg is better for me, um, but he is so
0: good. <laughs> He's, awesome. He's amazing. Yeah. Um, and I really feel like, and we'll talk more about this over the next couple films, but I really feel like he does a good job of embodying what uh, Star Trek is supposed to be about. It is interesting. He is kind of like the compass of Trek yeah. in this particular cast. yeah. Um, and I, I mean, I came into this movie, like, everyone was so well cast, and I came into this movie already a huge Simon Pegg fan, so for his character to be so well done throughout this trilogy, uh, it was awesome. And I I will go to my grave a Simon Pegg fan, assuming he doesn't, you know... Become an asshole. <laughs> um, no, I'm, I'm with you there, right? Because I had known him from some other films, like the Cornetto trilogy
1: movies, and that. that yeah, sort of he had thing.
2: already been in two. I
1: think I he think had done been, the first yeah. two. I
2: thought so. Yeah,
1: yeah, at least yeah, at least the first two. Well, because the world's end was 2012, I think, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. So so yeah, I think he had already done the first two.
2: And most people who saw those went back and watched Spaced Space because of it. Yes. So, you know.
1: He's just a delight to yes. have in those movies. It's yeah. great, you know the. You know he's like they're telling him he's from the future. He's like, yeah, sure, whatever. They have sandwiches there, like he doesn't
0: believe them at all. <laughs> like, I just want
2: a full meal.
0: Yeah, uh, which is so <laughs> great. What do you mean you're hungry? You're so small. All you need is a pee and you're done. You're full.
1: You know, I've never I was I've never transported three people from two locations on the one pad before. You know? Yeah. It's just just fun. That,
2: I told you, like, that makes me think of you. He got so excited about his accomplishments that, you know, that's what he was bragging about instead of talking about this, like, life-altering world-ending life-or-death thing going on right now. And I I thought that was a total you moment because, you know, you call me when you solve a really intense computer issue and you're like, guess what I just did? (laughs) So it reminded me of you that's
0: adorable
1: fair enough i'll take it um all right so we um we've covered most of the film at this point there's a couple cool moments left um i love the the scene on with titan the uh the moon it's just a beautifully shot scene Mm -hmm. when the enterprise rises out of the clouds it's just cool it's a really beautiful shot pretty
2: um
1: you know very very well done um and the battle sequence is, is cool. It's it's a cool moment, you know. It's when, an
2: acceptable battle. You know? It's
1: fine. I like when the Enterprise swoops in to save Spock on the squid ship. Um, in the last moment, it's a it's a cool shot. Yeah, uh, which is which is neat. A lot of cool shots in this film. Um, then then the movie like the ending kind of goes off the rails a little bit when they detonate all of the red matter and the ship can't pull away. Now I like yeah. the whole we're at warp. I like that. I thought that was kind of a cool moment, Mm -hmm. right? Like, they're at maximum, and they're going nowhere, right? So then they eject the core. Now, I don't care that the core is a bunch of little cores. I don't care. (laughs) Like, fine. If that's how you want to design it, whatever. What bothers me here is they've ejected the core while traveling at warp. They've ejected the warp core while traveling at warp. Yeah. Yeah. And don't slow down. And then the explosion that should destroy the ship because, you know, the warp core breaches have happened on Star Trek a couple of times. um, Rockets them forward faster than their maximum warp speed?
0: (laughs) Look, science, man.
1: Um, That just bothers me.
0: That makes no sense to me at all. No, I agree. Like it's a it's a cool thing. It's a cool uh, easy out, and
1: that's all it is. Well, then to to make matters worse, that piece just followed a piece that also makes no sense. Where the Narada is being destroyed, they offer to help, right? Mm-hmm. And you have that cool moment between Kirk and Spock, which I think is a really good character moment, right? Um, yeah, showing compassion. Spock, maybe it's the only way to have peace with Romulus. You know, logic. You know, I thought you'd like that. And Spock's like, no, not not this time, right? Yeah. It's a good character moment.
0: Their, then, their budding bromance throughout this film is it's very good, well done. Yeah, Right.
1: And then immediately after that, they just launch a bunch of weapons at the Narada because, you know, uh, Nero doesn't want any help. Okay. Nero mm. doesn't want any help. You've already said that their ship's compromised and they can't survive without your help. Why would you then destroy them?
0: Because first mm. off,
1: first off, aside, let's put the ammo aside for a minute here. Doesn't that mean they just, like, basically murdered those people who could no longer cause a threat? Yeah, Or pose a threat, excuse me? Yes. Yeah. That doesn't seem very Kirk Spock Enterprise to me.
2: But it seems very much like, hey, we wrote ourselves into a hole. (laughs) 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 Like, I've seen that in Trek happen before. I've seen that in Batman. And, you know, they, they write themselves into a corner. And then the best they can do is offer up you know, the worst possible options or, you know, maybe it looks good, but when you think about it, it's horrible. Like, yeah, I mean, the best comparison I have is when they made Superman snap, uh, Zod's neck. Like
1: man of steel. We've talked about that one. Yeah.
2: yeah, I harp on that a lot because I think it's one of the worst writing.
1: (laughs) It's not good. No. So, all right. So we move on. We're back. Time has passed. Um, Kirk is no longer in trouble. In fact, he's promoted to captain straight up from a cadet. (laughs) He goes from from a cadet on probation to captain in a matter of like three days. Um,
2: All the other cadets are full on crew members now. Like there's no graduation. Well,
1: I feel a little bad for some of them because I think Uhura was the only cadet, the only other cadet, because it seemed like Sulu, Chekhov, Bones, and Spock were all full crew members already, as was Scotty down on the station. Boat's
2: position seems odd. Like, he joined the new recruit's on the same day that uh, Kirk did, so was he a cadet? Did they hire him on as, like, a school doctor? Like, So I have a theory have about more that.
1: experience. I think he was a doctor. Yeah. Well, yeah. And so basically he was, it's kind of like if you did, it like. He flat
2: out says, like, I am a doctor. I don't need a right. doctor.
1: <laughs> it's kind of like if you did, like, ROTC or something like that in high school and then go into the military, you're brought in at a higher level yeah i wonder if it was something like that he was already an md he had experience as an md and they basically just had to train him in the starfleet aspects of the space you know portion of it and then he's a doctor so he's not that chief medical officer when we first meet him he becomes that later in the movie right because of the deaths but he doesn't start that convenient death he just he starts he just starts off as one of the doctors which i mean let's be honest it makes more sense that a ship like the enterprise would have you know a couple of doctors. <laughs> yeah. Discovery has fixed that a bit too, because Discovery has multiple doctors. Like that makes a lot more sense to me than you know one. Yeah. yeah. Um. But you know, and then Chekhov is the whiz kid. He's already an officer, as is Sulu. So really, it's just Uhura and Kirk who are the real cadets. That's fair. Um,
2: well, at least you know she got promoted too.
1: She did, and I mm-hmm. mean, you know, she she gets to boot out that lieutenant, so she skips. Up from Ensign straight to Lieutenant, I guess, too. Mm-hmm. So um, A lot of skipping around. A lot of skipping around. It does have one of my favorite little nods, which is uh, Pike in the wheelchair. Oh, yeah. And yeah. basically wearing Kirk's Admiral uniform from the motion picture.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but, you know, nicer. <laughs> yes.
0: I am relieved.
1: It's a cool moment. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, it's good to, to see Bruce Greenwood again as Pike. I think he's a wonderful Pike. Yeah. Um, and it's a nice little nod to the original series of what happened with, with Jeffrey Hunter's Pike. For sure. I'm
2: very curious as to what actually damaged him. Because, you know, very obvious that he went, that he underwent uh, a ton of torture, including the little ear space worm thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know what all that thing caused internally. Just, I work in the medical field, so I'm actually curious Like, what injury caused him to be paralyzed.
1: Well, so so, so he's not paralyzed because by the next movie he's okay. Oh,
2: right. right, right
3: So,
1: right, right. so he's not paralyzed. So here's what I think happened. This is just my headcanon. So the Centurion beetle thing, slug, yeah. they put it in his mouth. They don't have the babies in his ear. So I'm wondering if they had to surgically remove it. Um,
2: Interesting. And
1: maybe because of that, he can't, okay. like, stand and walk around right now. Because it seems like the ga- time gap's only maybe a couple of weeks. Right. Right? So maybe he had to have, like, serious surgery to have that removed. Yeah. And he's just not healed yet. It was kind of how I took it, since he's fine in the next movie.
2: Okay. So. That's, yeah. That's fair. It's
1: a valid, valid experience. So. A valid explanation. Uh, maybe exhalation. he had to pass it. Um. <laughs> and he did that morning and that's why he can't stand up anymore even worse worst even hemorrhoids
2: worse. ever I was gonna say like,
0: can you imagine the damage of those things that do coming out Ugh. so um, as a side note real quick yeah. since we're talking about Starfleet um, and, and maybe one of you know the answer to this what the hell is Tyler Perry doing there? He's the president of Starfleet. Well, I know, but like he's a that actor, like, what? Oh, okay, he's a Trekkie. Yeah. He approached Abrams. Okay, I didn't requested. know what the backstory was. And I always it's, forget until I rewatch him, like, oh yeah, he's in this. It's like Samuel
2: L. Jackson, L. Jackson approaching Lucas. Sure. Only Samuel L. Jackson can act and <laughs> Perry a, can't. So well, otherwise, it's he fine. may have had a much Let bigger it, yeah. role if he was Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, Come on, it's true. You know it.
1: So, little, little, <laughs> little things. You know, you've got the Scotty line about. Admiral Archer's pri- prized beagle. beagle. Yeah, uh, It can't be Porthos, though. As far as we know, dogs still
2: only live, like, 10 to 15 years in this. Well, even wow. even if you
1: think, like, we've expanded our life. Yeah. Like, we live to be 150 to 200 years old.
2: So maybe Fine. they live to 25.
1: So they live to be 50? Oh, wow. I mean, like, even that seems like on the high end. It does. And Porthos still wouldn't be alive by this point. Yeah, this agree. is 100 years later. Yeah. I I you just know, why is Archer still alive? Well, because he'd only be like 130.
0: God, but still at what cost?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I want to see Baccula, 130 uh, year old, makeup.
0: Yeah,
1: let's do this. But seriously, like, I know everyone wants it to be Porthos, but th- there's just no reasonable. So way instead,
2: to... he is just a beagle owner. Like when one passes, he gets another beagle. There are dog owners like of that. There
0: are yes. Then there's dog owners like me that lose a black lab and then a year later adopt a white cat.
1: <laughs> All about
0: the extremes. <laughs> I feel like yeah. there's like uh, an
2: underworld god connection here or something.
1: Probably. <laughs> so as we wrap up here, uh, little things. How do you guys feel about the aesthetics, the beautiful? God, for I example? hate the
2: Enterprise. I hate the Enterprise so it's shiny. Much. It looks like
0: the inside of an Apple Store.
2: The first time I saw it, I was like, "Oh, this is beautiful." And Last night, after I've gone through and I've watched all the other movies. Mm-hmm. And this is the first time I've watched the 09 films since I've seen all the other ones. That's... Same. No, no, that is not the bridge. That That's the genius bar. Yes. Like, that... And all the lens flare—it is so bad.
1: It's excessive. So yeah, bad. I kind of thought like maybe it had just become a, a joke for everybody to make fun of the lens flare, no, and then we totally rewatched narrated. it. And I'm like, man, it is everywhere. It in that was movie
2: distracting. It got in the way. Like, it's all of a sudden right in front of Bruce Greenwood's face, and I'm like, he did not sign on for that. You are disrespecting <laughs> yeah. Bruce Greenwood. Right. That is a Batman right there. Like, screw you.
0: God, I always forget that. Yeah. Right.
1: Well, so what did you think about the exterior of the ship? The, the, the design of the well, ship? Of
2: course, that's pretty. It's pretty. Uh, it's pretty. It's
1: pretty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the Enterprise. It's a Constitution-class ship. I don't think the there's Kelvin's any argument. The
2: Kelvin's pretty. The Nerada's pretty looking. The, yeah. uh, I like the Kelvin a lot. Enterprise yeah. is pretty. Like, that, the, that
0: one turbine, not turbine, uh, nacelle was really cool. Yeah.
2: The models that they they made for this looked amazing. They yes. looked like, they belong in this world, and I appreciate that. Now, obviously, as we dig deeper into the Narada, and we just go inside on the Enterprise, it looks awful, but,
1: you know. Fair enough. I mean, yeah, the whole engine room is actually the Budweiser yeah. uh, plant in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. so bad. Uh, which I didn't quite believe until I actually got to tour the, the brewery,
0: and, like, yeah, that's totally it. <laughs> I kind of, like, I don't care at all about beer or... Um, that particular look for the engine room but i do kind of want to go it's st louis it's not that far i kind of want to tour and take some photos just you know for the sake of saying i was in the we should the go bridge. sometime it was we fun. Should. it'd be it was a fun really trip fun. yeah
2: like if i ever see the redwoods i'm gonna do what ben does on parks and rack and be like i'm on indoors
1: yes <laughs> exactly uh yes so okay so what about the uniforms
2: they're simplistic just mm-hmm. like the TOS ones were yeah and I kind of expected them to be a little bit more They're but they're made out of jersey knit and that stuff's really cheap like there's a reason why they give that to people in sports like it's yeah. because it's a cheap fabric but it's also durable and doesn't stain very badly so you know I just ugh. I like the look the aesthetic but getting up close as a costume designer like mm, they could have done more
0: yeah, I agree. I don't know if it... Was it this one or one of the later films that um when you zoom in on them, it's got the little... Uh, that's this one. Okay, the Delta Shield. Yeah, yeah
1: all over. Yeah,
0: yeah, which is cool, but I mean, meh, whatever. Fair enough. Um So
1: for, we talked a lot about budget last week for Nemesis because of the low budget that Nemesis had. Uh This one, they, they, they tried. It got $150 million
2: Yeah, that's in two- a decent
1: amount. And, you know, I mean, Aquaman today... Ten years later is getting 165. Right. Yeah. Right. So they gave it money. They really did. Um, it grossed uh, th- a little over 385 million internationally. That's great. Uh, 257.7 domestically. And so, for some perspective here,
2: the rest is all from Jordan.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it might be uh, the. It is the. Not adjusted. This is just straight cash. It is the highest grossing Star Trek film by a pretty good margin. Uh, the top three are all the Kelvin films. Each one making less money, <laughs>
3: mm-hmm.
1: um, which again is why there's some discussion around the right. fourth film and renegotiating contracts because the F- Beyond only made 158 domestically.
2: Yeah, you know, which
1: is good. criminal. Um, and then you know, it, it, there's a pretty steep drop off. Uh, Voyage Home made 109 and those are the only ones that made over a 100. Mm. Um, you know. The
2: Whale movie.
1: The really? Whale. It was very accessible. Yeah.
2: That's fair. It was new very fans.
1: family friendly. This was it's this one very accessible was this
0: one. Yep. Easy jumping on point.
2: It was great because I mean, it's just named Star Trek. They don't have mm-hmm. a subtitle to it, which yeah. you know, is pretty good. It means, "Hey, this is a starting point for new fans."
1: Absolutely. And that was very much on purpose. Yeah. Uh, if you do adjust it for inflation, uh, then the 09 film is still number one for the domestic number. Uh, but number two is the original motion picture, actually, Weird. followed by the Voyage Home. That's the top three if you adjust <laughs> for inflation there. Cool. With the 09 one being the only one over 300. So, so uh, on Twitter we did a poll. We've been doing polls for these, asking people you know, how you feel about the movie. And 80% of our audience um, thought that uh, the 2000... I'm sorry. Wait. 61%. What was I looking at? I I don't even know. 61% of our audience gave the 2009 film an A rating with 30% giving it a B and 4% a C as well as 4% a D or lower. So, you know, 91% of the audience out there thinks it's at least a B or above. Uh, which is pretty good. Where would you guys rate this one? Like, Overall, or just with Kelvin verse, or just like A, I mean, a, B, if C you want to give, I mean, if you want to give me any of that, whatever you you feel comfortable with.
2: Well, I think we all agree that Beyond's the best Kelvin film. Oh, mm. nine is the second, and Into Darkness is the last. And like, I switch those two. You would really? Well,
1: I, next I, next week's gonna be rough. Next, <laughs> no, next week be,
0: to be fair, I haven't watched Into Darkness in a while, and there is okay. a chance that I will come here and say like, Nope, you're right. I hate it. It's the I worst. I have controversial but, things
2: to say about that film yeah, too. Same. It's like. I love the Klingons, and every time I oh, yeah. say that, I, I feel like violence is going yeah. to be uh, inflicted on me. Yeah. But...
0: No, I have a lot of unpopular opinions about that movie, and it's one that, like, I I don't think it's a, 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 the best track. I don't think it's... A objectively great film i'll get into it more next week um we'll see how i feel about it because yeah. it's been a couple of years but um yeah it's one that there are enough really good moments and pieces about it that i enjoy
2: so okay so as of today you would as of today I, yeah
0: as of today i would put that I, I think they get progressively better
2: but we all can agree that no beyond
0: easily easily the best yeah
1: okay so from a letter grade perspective we're saying
0: an a, a B, a do C. a B, I do a B, a solid B. Okay, um,
2: a plus
3: maybe. I
0: mentioned to you, and I mentioned on social media before I rewatched this that this is a film that I usually like less every time I see it. I have the same problem with the first X Men movie. Every time I watch it, I just I see more holes. Uh, that being said, it's been long enough now that rewatching this the other night, uh, I actually I didn't like it less. Yeah, I, good. <laughs> it's maybe maybe I've reached. plateaued. I plateaued. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's fun. It does enough things right. And it definitely sets up, uh, some really cool stuff to happen in the subsequent film. So yeah.
1: Fair enough. Yeah. I give it like an A minus. Yeah. Um, I, I don't watch it that often. Maybe once every 18 to 24 months I get around to watching it. Right. And so for that reason, I don't ever get sick of any of it. And Mm -hmm. I don't, I I don't quite remember, you know, the negativity around it. I remember the positive stuff from this one because I mean, seeing it in theaters was kind of a big deal. I, you know, I went with uh, my dad, I went with a couple of friends, and, like, it was a really big deal. We had, like, the IMAX theater had, like, the split row thing. We had the front of that split row. Like, it was a pretty, yeah. like, big night. And so yeah. I remember all the positive stuff about this one, which yeah. probably gives it a bit of a bump. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, considering that they, the franchise was dead in 2004. Yeah. With no, mo- no movies in, in pre-production and no show on the air. Uh, And then, you know, the Vegas experience being torn down a few years later, like it was nice to see that they were at least trying to do something. And Mm -hmm. what we got, I thought was pretty solid.
0: Well, and it, it... Arguably, part of the reason why we're even sitting here doing this is because of that film. If it, weren't, if it had not been for that film, then I doubt we would uh, be seeing this resurgence in Trek that we've seen in the last few years. And with Discovery and all these new shows coming out, I mean, this podcast started kind of in uh, anticipation of Discovery. And, and so there's a good chance we may not be here having this conversation. Well, we definitely wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation because <laughs> this movie wouldn't have existed. But the point being, uh, I mean, love it or hate it. And there are a lot of hardcore Star Trek fans uh, that really hate this film and hate on the JJ-verse and call him Jar Jar Abrams. And there's just, a, there's just a lot of negativity and very non-Trek attitudes out there. But um, I think that, that this definitely it brought new fans into the fold, who a lot of which went back and watched a lot, or if not, all of the old stuff. So
2: I think there are some definite golden moments that are true Trek in these films. And yes, yes. they are more action. Yes, they are more emotional. And... That's fine that's what happens when new people come into things yes and I still believe that it is deeply rooted in Trek and that Abrams and uh, Lynn went into this with as much love for the original as they possibly could you know it's it's not necessarily Abrams fault that he wasn't into this but he did his homework and he respected what came before and mm-hmm. you know you can see good moments in this that is truly Trek.
0: absolutely
1: fair enough i think that's a good spot to end on so
2: yeah i'm good like
1: that next week we will be discussing star trek into darkness which is the second kelvin timeline film almost at, universally hated <laughs> and the 12th star trek movie um so we'll be discussing that one next week so go ahead and rewatch that if you're joining us um ray how can people find you
2: i am at siren ray i am a cosplayer I am a podcaster. I trash talk, and you know, you can find me locally at you know most donut or pizza shops. You are likely to bump into me there, so that's cool.
0: Zach, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I am at Avengers ES on Twitter and Instagram. Um, those are the best ways to find me. I'm you know talking Trek, my cat. Politics, you know the important stuff in life. Talking, talking Trek with your cat, or you know what? I live, <gasps> I live podcast.
1: by myself, so <laughs> that's a podcast. <laughs> that's a podcast. Yes, I think it's just called monologue. Trekking cats.
0: <laughs> yes,
1: um, and I am the Star Trek dude on Twitter. Of course, you can come talk to me. I'm out there every day for that, and you can also find Ray and I on Screen Heroes, our TV and movie podcast here on the Heroes Podcast Network. Uh, please follow us at Redshirts Pod on Twitter we're doing polls every week for these uh for these movies and things like that you can come talk to us out there or find us at heroespodcasts.com or at heroes Podcasts on facebook and instagram thank you everybody for joining us we will catch you next time see you
0: red shirts and runabouts is part of the heroes podcast network the show is hosted by myself gregory
1: bosco along with jeremy munkin and derek Mayer. the theme song is by flying killer robots You can find us as well as other Heroes Podcast Network shows at HeroesPodcast.com, as well as on iTunes, Blog Talk Radio, Google Play, and anywhere you can use an RSS feed. Follow us on social media at Heroes Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitch. And you can also email us at contact at HeroesPodcast.com. Engage.